It's the show where Hawaii's newsmakers come to talk and to take your questions live. From the nation's capital to Honolulu Hale, from the state legislature to the fifth floor, we bring the experts to you and ask them what you want to know. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Palaisuji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. Hello, thanks for tuning in here on this Wednesday morning. I'm Ryan Kalesuji, joined by Yanji Denise, and this is Spotlight Hawaii on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This morning, we are spotlighting education and our keiki in our community. That's right. You know, we're still going through the budget that was submitted by the legislature and trying to figure out, you know, winners and losers, if you will, how folks did. Uh, there are so many competing interests in our state. We have a budget surplus and we have a lot of needs in our community. So how did it all shake out when it comes to children and Hawaii families? We've invited Hawaii Children's Action Network, uh, two representatives from that nonprofit organization, which advocates on behalf of kids in our community. Keopu Relitz is the Director of Early Learning and Health Policy for HCAN, and uh, Deborah Zeisman, excuse me, is the Executive Director of the organization. Thank you both for being here this morning. Thanks for having us. So, Deborah, let's start with you. Big picture, when you look at how how the legislature operated and, and the priorities they had, uh, how do you think kids did this time around? Overall, children and families fared very well this this legislative session. I think we are overall very pleased. Um, in two big areas, we see the most success. So the first is an investment in our early learning system. And I think Keopu will share some more details there. And the second, which is another big priority for our organization, is really helping to lift children and families um, out of poverty into more stable um, economic situations. Yeah, so Kale, let's kind of dive into one of the main themes that uh, has been a part of this administration and was a big part of this legislative session, and that is this early learning initiative. Uh, your thoughts as uh, this, the uh, state commits to this movement and uh, uh, just any other concerns that you may also have about what has happened this legislative session or, or uh, the positives that came about from that? Sure. So... I mean, I think it's safe to say that early childhood care and education had a really great year at the state legislature. Um, the lieutenant governor led uh, a bill, HB 961. Um, what it practically does is it expands preschool open doors, which is subsidies to families to send their children to preschools at three and four years old, or I should say at four years old. Right now, it's just for four years old. It would expand it to three years old. And same with EOEL, public pre-K. So those are the pre-K programs on DOE campuses. And under that bill, it'll expand to three-year-olds as well. But what, I mean, that in and of itself is a big win, but what makes it like even solidly more in that win category was it in the budget, it came with some pretty significant investments. And so we see that there was a, there was a jump in, um, or there will be a jump in investments for preschool open doors. So it'll take it from $11 million to by the end of the, the biennium, $50 million a year. So even though we're expanding, you know, not just fours to threes, you think it maybe would be double, but instead it's nearly quadruple the amount of state investments for preschool open doors. And that will support our community-based providers. The other thing it, the legislature did that we were very pleased with is that they increased the funding for expansion of early learning programs on DOE and charter school campuses. So by it, by the end of the biennium, we'll see a, a pretty significant expansion of classrooms on um, both 
charter and DOE classrooms. And so that was all kind of part of the Ready Cakey initiative and part of the, the initiative that the Lieutenant Governor was pushing forward. Um, the Another thing I wanted to mention in the budget that we were very excited about was seeing is over $600,000, so like two thirds of a million dollars a year is gonna to go to early childhood educator stipends. And so that's where we can, it's a partnership between the University of Hawaii and the Executive Office on Early Learning. So they can start to give tuition stipends so that we can you know, get ready for the next round of educators so that as we expand, we'll be able to fill those classrooms with teachers who are well-supported and well-educated. Um, so those are some of the big budget highlights. Um, and I think from there, there wasn't a whole lot of, I would say losses or disappointments for us in the, as far as early childhood care and education. What we do wanna see moving forward is more investments in, re in retention of the workforce. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get around to that eventually, but that's one area where we are hoping to see a little bit more, but you know, maybe the time's just not ripe and we'll continue to kind of move forward on that and see where we can move in the next couple of years. Yeah, I wanna get into some of the specifics of the programs that you outlined. Before we do that, let's talk about why this money is needed in the first place, because those are really significant investments. I know that your organization um, does a survey called Kids Count, which I think some of our viewers may be familiar with, which is a great sort of snapshot and data tool to assess where Hawaii is, especially in relation to other states. Deborah, can you tell us how do uh, the services for youth in our community stack up and, and how are our kids doing when it comes to you know comparing them to other states. So Kids Count is a national kind of data system where all 50 states look every year at how our kids and families faring and we kind of compare how we are. And so we help to manage that for Hawaii's families. So and many of the, the indicators that we look at, our kids are doing fine. They're um, actually in, in education and in health, they tend to be doing uh, on average with our, our states across the nation or often even better. The one area that is of big concern to us at Hawaii Children's Action Network is actually economic well-being. So our families here in the state are in the bottom third of the nation for economic well-being. And a, the reason behind that is our salaries tend to be lower than in many other states with high cost of living and then high cost of living. So we have high housing costs and high child care costs. So those are we need to our organization is working on like ad addressing that, right? So I think we last year supported lifting the minimum wage to try to get families more money in their pocketbook. And last year, and then again this year, we have supported what are called tax credits, which sounds very geeky, but what it means is that low to middle income families will be paying less in state taxes so they can actually lower the amount of taxes that get taken out of their paycheck every week, bring home more in their paycheck, or they can choose to get a bigger refund every year in April. So depending on your family, if you like that really big refund, great, you'll be getting a larger one. Um, but I think we're encouraging more like make adjustments so that week by week when you get paid, you're paying less in your taxes. You'll be keeping more of your money each week so you can pay rent, buy food, all of those things. So that's a really huge win. We, we doubled what's called the earned income tax credit this year. And that is huge. That is a huge benefit for many, many families across our state. It's enormous. And, and I'm not sure that you have this information, but just curious, does that count or that information that you're able to get uh, from, you know, based on our metrics in Hawaii, is that broken down by communities, by neighbor islands? Uh, can you tell specifically what parts of our community are doing better than others or faring better than others? And how does that maybe play into planning uh, moving forward for some of these other initiatives? Mm-hmm. 
Um, some of it we can, and some of it we can't. It's uh, With data, it's always the problem is when you have small numbers, you can't generalize. So some of our data is only just looking at our state, how our state compares to others. We do know in general, though, across the board, we see more concern in our, in our rural communities, right? That's where there's fewer jobs or lower paying jobs and higher costs of living. So I think that is where in particular for some of the things like the investment in in preschool and childcare, we are advocating to make sure that investments go to communities that need it most. Yeah, let's expand a little bit on preschool open doors. And I think, you know, those of us who have young children understand and know this program, but, um, you know, it's basically, Keopu, if you could talk about, you know, tuition assistance for these families. So it's not necessarily waiting for the DOE to stand up this these preschools through Ready Cakey, but using existing providers and giving, giving families money that they can then use for tuition. What kind of a difference uh, do you think that that investment is going to make for the kids and, and for those families? I mean, I, can't, I think we can't understand how big of a win this was for early childhood care and education. I think it's going to make a big, um, a big impact for families. When we look at, so, you know, I have three young children and all three of my children have gone at some point to a community-based provider. Um, so that's the, the small preschools or the multi-site preschools that we see that care for kids from six, month, six weeks um, up until they go into kindergarten. And the vast majority of our children are cared for in those types of settings. That is where most of our kids get their early learning opportunities. That's where they get their first exposure to all the lessons that they need to become lifelong learners. And and so what is one of the things that is has been really heartening and promising about the Ready Cakey initiative is just an understanding that the ideal state, what we want to see for families, the, the reality is that if we want to get to the perfect system, that that perfect system is going to have a mix of options for families that meet us where we are, whether that's, you know, I'm a native Hawaiian woman who's raising part Hawaiian, part Filipino kids, and I want to make sure we can send our kids to a, an early childhood option that can actually meet our family's cultural needs and those kinds of things and making sure that we have that slew of options is is absolutely vital to the success of young kids and their families and so preschool open doors what it allows is for families to have that option and again because that the the investment was so much bigger. So we're, again, we're not just talking about, okay, let's double it so we can add threes. We're, it was nearly quadrupling. So what the other thing that is not necessarily at the legislative level, but has been happening, kind of um, plugging into the Ready Cakey initiative is improvements to the systems. And so what we're hoping for is working across community members, advocates like us, executive branch members, so that way we can improve the systems and actually do things like increase the eligibility. So that means that families right now, I mean, it, it, it's often only available to families who are really struggling. And so can we, with those increased investments, find a way to improve the, the you know, make sure that more families can get it, but also can we make sure that we're giving providers, giving those community-based providers a bigger amount of money so that they can make ends meet for themselves? Because when we have good educators who are uh, cared for and supported financially, then that means it's a win for families and the kids who they take care of. And yeah, just really, talk. oh, sorry, right. Just really briefly, I just want one point from from Kaopu, just so people, you know, people who don't have kids may not know. Uh, these programs are expensive. You know, how much money are we talking about for a family trying to pay for preschool? For a three and four year old, you're looking at around eleven hundred dollars on average across the state. So that's eleven hundred dollars per month. That is more than that is as much as or nearly as much as some 
college tuitions. Um, so for a lot of families, I know for our family, and then what I should say, what the other thing I want to mention is it is very common for, for families to have kids within like a five-year period. So it's very likely you're not just paying one tuition, you're paying multiple tuitions. So I think I looked at our family's um, childcare costs this year for infant care, infant and toddler care and a preschool education. We were coming in at like $30,000 a year that we're going to be paying if we didn't get the assistance we had. You know, Deborah Kiopu was talking about uh, the importance of having these these teachers and mentors for these students. Uh, but like many other industries, uh, you know, there are labor shortages. How concerned are you about this issue uh, when it comes to finding educators for our children as these uh, initiatives expand like Ready Cakey? Will there be enough teachers and how do we ensure uh, that the labor issues that we're experiencing in other industries uh, are, are and those needs are met? with these types of programs? Well, that I would say is our biggest concern in expansion. We have seen a reduction in the number of folks working in early care and education. And that started actually prior to the start of the pandemic. We believe that the main reason that we have a workforce shortage is low pay. We hear all the time, there was a study done last year, we are losing folks working in, in childcare and early learning just to other industries because the pay is so abysmal. Um, time and time again, we hear folks saying, oh, I lost an amazing teacher with my two-year-old classroom that we had. They went to work in retail, even though they have a bachelor's degree in early education and they love this work, but they need to feed their own family as well. So um, we believe strongly that we need to compensate our early education providers more, at least adequately, at least no one is expecting to get to get rich um, as, a, as a teacher or an early educator, but that people can pay their own rent and put food on their own table. This is a nationwide issue that folks have been struggling with. We need to invest not just in buildings, facilities, um, or subsidies to families, but if folks have one of these new preschool open door subsidies, they can go out to you know send their child somewhere. But there are not enough workers in that in that in that place. There won't be a spot for them. So um, Kaupu can correct me, but the the average hourly pay for most of our you know early learning childcare providers right now is like thirteen to sixteen dollars an hour. Um, that is well below survival budget. Uh, so it is difficult to attract people into that industry, despite folks saying they would love to work with young children. They're passionate about working with young children, but then they think they need to themselves survive. So we did have um, a proposed um, measure this year. It did not pass to start doing what's called wage supplements. So to give extra money to um, the teachers, you know, who work in those early education classrooms, they are doing this in a few other states. So for us, it's important that we, we want to actually charge families less, not more. And we know we need to pay the staff that work in our preschools and in our child cares more money. So the way we need to do that is with public taxpayer investment. So in a few other states now, it's working successfully that like their Department of Human Services is the proposal here, will, would give supplemental pay to those licensed um, regulated childcare providers, right? So if you're, if you're in that system, and it might depend on where you are, we could incentivize some of those areas, say it's a hard to reach rural community, you could provide extra pay. If you have an advanced degree, 
you could provide extra pay. So there's a number of options that are there, but um, we know if we want to recruit more people to go you know, into early care, early education, we need to pay them. We need to compensate. Yeah, Kaofu, if you could expand on that, I mean, just hearing 11 to $13, or I, I can't remember exactly what the range was, but uh, pretty low. And then you think about the childcare costs. I know that a lot of people who work in childcare are parents themselves. Given the high cost, it seems like they would barely be able to afford their own childcare and work in this field. Exactly. So we have um, the, I gave you the average rate for three and four-year-old preschool. The average rate for a center to take care of your infant is $1,700 a month. Um, and I can tell you that that is not, that is, that did not come out of fiction as a mom who had to look for infant care in the last year. That is about what we were looking at is about $1,700 a month. And so if you're, if you're making 13 to $17 an hour and your take home is probably around 2,000, 2,500 maybe a month and you have to pay $1,700 a month for infant care, how do you stay in the sector? And that I think is, you know, building off of what Deb said, we really like, we want to see educators who can stay in the sector long-term. That is what is not just good for educators, but it is good for families. And so how do we continue to support those folks to stay in the sector? And again, as Deb was mentioning, the first thing is pay, right? Um, what I think a lot of folks don't necessarily realize, because I've had a lot of friends come to me, you know, when, when we've been advocating for increase in wages, um, and I'm asking them to do testimony, they're like, hey, wait, hold on. Explain to me how these folks who these people who love my kid, who like educate my kid, he learned so much there. How are they getting paid $15 an hour, but I pay $1,300 a month? And we have to explain to folks that really the economics of childcare isn't there. The roots of the ch of childcare in the in the United States is really slavery and exploited domestic labor. For the longest time, childcare was mothering. Childcare was work that was done by women of color for free. And when we decided we needed, we were not going to be putting up with that those kinds of conditions anymore. We never factored in how much that labor was really worth. And so at this point, we're have we're seeing providers, community based providers who are having to weigh like how do I increase the wages but I can't bring down the cost of my rent because actually those rents and electricity bills we're hearing from childcare providers are going up and up and up so that's going up but I'm still trying to make sure that I can be competitive so that my you know amazing staff don't go to target because it pays better and has and has retirement and so it puts providers in this precarious position and also puts families in a precarious position because we want them to be you know, adequately compensated and be able to take care of, you know, hopefully they'll say we have I, one of our providers has been with her center for 30 years. Like, I want to make sure that my kids could send their babies to them. But if we're not making sure that we're having that long term investment, then it's not going to be good for those folks who want to stay in the sector. And then that, again, translates to it's not good for families and it's not good for kids. Okay, well, I want to stay here talking about uh, and address Ready Keiki because, you know, we, when we talk about this system and this initiative that's being started, I mean, this is not a new topic. Uh, there have been many administrations. There's been many campaigns during campaign seasons that have promised this. Uh, we now see it moving forward with it really being shepherded by the lieutenant governor. Uh, if you can speak to you know, your conversations with the administration, uh, with the lieutenant governor, uh, and just your overall sense of their where this is on their priority list. Because as you said, there are many different facets to this. This is not just, of course, providing education, but there is the logistics involved. You're, you're setting up an infrastructure uh, from the ground up and a curriculum system. 
But how uh, much of a priority do you think this is of this administration and, and what you've been hearing and seeing thus in their efforts? I can say, I mean, I think it's one of the lieutenant governor's top priority, if not her top priority. Um, and I, what I will say is that what has been very promising, and this is like much more insider baseball, right? Like, so it may not appeal to as many folks, but those of us who have been in the sector for a while, um, Deb actually has been in longer than I have, but um, I've been in for the last several years. Um, and when you look under the hood of Ready Keiki, um, in the meetings that we've been in and the, the things that we've talked about, what I see is very frequently there's work being done on every front and i think without the work that has been done previously without those like promises that have been made and the work that have gone into those promises I again and again and again we wouldn't be at the the place where we at and are at now and so how do we take if we're going to be successful we need to essentially push like a hundred levers at the same time and move all of these different components forward toward that universal access goal. And because we are where we are, we've done the work in, you know, making the connections and building some of that, those pieces that are needed over the last, you know, 10, 20, maybe even 30 years, I think we're at a place where we can see those components moving forward. And that's what's been really optimistic and promising for me with the Ready Kiki initiative is that when we look under the hood, we're seeing folks moving each of our components forward at the same time. And so what that means, though, I think is like, for me as a mom, that means a lot because it's not, I'm not like, yes, I want the, I, the Lieutenant Governor just announced 11 new classrooms opening in August, which is awesome. And that is great. But what I want to see and the reason I've been in the sector for the last several years is because I want to see that my kids don't have to go through the struggles we went through in finding and being able to afford childcare. And because we're seeing that, you know, under the hood, the, that the alignment of the different components that maybe it is a promise to be a truly generational shift. And that is what I think is has been really promising. Um, and we have seen that um, the Lieutenant Governor is not only committed to it herself, but is committed to bring folks like the legislature to the table and having those investments be made this legislative session shows that we are actually moving somewhere forward together. Yeah, Deborah, do you share that optimism? And, and why do you think that th this at this moment, the things will be different? Um, I, I entirely agree with Keobu on that front. I think there has been foundational work being built for uh, decades, uh, years, definitely, to build a solid foundation. So we have built over the last 10 years a solid public pre-K program in our Department of Education, Exec Office of Early Learning and Charter Schools. We have a solid preschool open doors program and our Department of Human Services. And so it does feel like now is a really good time to scale, right? It was important to do that foundational work and, and work on quality. That's important to us. We've done that. And so now to now you can take it um, and scale it up. It, it couldn't have been done without all the work that comes before. I would say for us at Hawaii Children's Action Network, we believe strongly in ensuring that families have, have choices from birth up to kindergarten and real choices, not just what they can find, what they can afford. Um, and so for us, that means we will be working, moving ahead on paid family leave, that if families wish to stay home from work, they can afford to do so. And continuing to push um, not just on the preschool expansion for threes and fours, but for infant and toddler care as well. That folks have choices. If they want their child to be with, with Tutu or Auntie, that that is a choice they can make and that Tutu and Auntie are supported and can do 
amazing um, you know, care and education for that child. If they want a small center, they can have that. If they want family-based care, they can have that. So that folks actually have actual options as opposed to right now, families will tell us all the time from birth, they have to just, they can take uh, what they feel is the safest, uh, what they can get a spot at, and maybe what they can afford, um, not real choices. You know, as, as we're closing here as, and looking just forward, uh, a lot of the work, obviously, that you folks do involve the legislative process and, and advocating for bills. Uh, I'm just wondering, and Deborah, we'll get, start with you, uh, going into this next part of the year, what is sort of the focus right now for you folks? What are, what are some of the things that you're going to be working on uh, as we have these discussions that there are still uh, lawmakers who feel that education uh, came up on the short end of the stick, that there are still things that need to be funded uh, as the governor reviews some of these proposals in front of him and has this $200 million to work with, um, what are some of the things that you're hoping uh, can happen in these next few months that you folks will be targeting and, and looking for? Mm -hmm. Well, it's always a work in progress. I joke that I will be employed forever because we're always, it's constant improvement um, towards that goal. I think for us, two big priorities. One is... Um, starting a real serious conversation with the, the new administration around paid family leave and what that program would look like for families here in Hawaii. It was a campaign issue for the governor. Um, and so we will be picking up that conversation of how under his administration, we will have paid family leave. Um, and I think the second, as we talked about, is building on the amazing wins this year for Ready Keiki, that we now need to get, get serious on investing in our early care and learning workforce to make sure that families, when they, when they, when they go to find childcare and preschool, they have well-trained, highly compensated um, staff in those, in those places. Yeah, and Keopu, I would like you to, to ask you just, at, you know, as we end our conversation this morning, um, you know, some people that you, you kind of um, get focused just on one issue and it's the issue that affects you the most. So if you're a parent, you're very, you're paying very close attention to this. Uh, if you don't have kids or maybe you're in a different phase of life, maybe you're not following this as closely, but tell us a little bit about why this matters to everyone in our community. Sure. I mean, so if you're a parent, so we like to say with early childhood things, like we, we have parents for five years, but then you would away the first year, which is crazy. Maybe the second year, which is also crazy. So we really only have people for three years. And that can be tough because it's a tough three years um, that we can get parents involved and caregivers involved. But the reality is, like, like I said, for me, um, and what I share with my friends is that I am not doing this so that I, I know that a lot of the investments will not pay off. There is a decent chance that my youngest child, who is just over a year old, will not get into a public pre-K program because there are other places in the islands that need those spots, you know, need the, that build out more. However, what I want to do is make sure that when my kids have like when they're if they decide they're going to have kids they don't they don't face the same hardship it is a reality that things have gotten worse since i was born from 1984 until now the pace of expansion of seats has not kept up with the number of children we have under the age of 5 and so it is imperative that we continue this effort to make sure that we're staying in it for the long game and not only is it 
something if, you know, it, not only can this be important if you're a parent and you care about the future for your kids, but if you're in the community, it is absolutely vital to have our young kids be exposed to nurturing, loving, educating environments. This is how we set them up for the, like just the basics of life skills. Can they, are they resilient in stress? Can they handle conflict? Can they regulate their emotions? Those are critical, not just for being able to be workers or, you know, being, being, you know, contributing members of society, but that's something that we want to see among our families within our communities and makes for vital communities to have families be supportive, supported, and to make sure that we're having young children be supported as well. Okay, we're Keopu Relitz and Deborah Zeisman, both of Hawaii Children's Action Network. Thank you so much for giving your assessment of the budget, budget this legislative session. We will check back with you in a few months to see how things are going. We really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Aloha. Well, Ryan, great to hear that, you know, the, from the vantage point of their organization, they feel that Keiki did very well this session, and that is good news to hear. Uh, there are still a lot of things that need to be done, especially you heard them both really talking about the labor issue. We hear this throughout all sectors, it seems, of our economy, uh, but childcare is one where we know that we need the workers. And, you know, when we've talked to the lieutenant governor about this, when we've talked to the superintendent, whoever we talk to in education, they all come back again and again that the pay scale needs to go up so that we can keep the workers and also attract new ones. Yeah, and, and really they paint that picture of what it's like for these individuals who work in this industry making about $15 an hour and the demand that of course that it has. Uh, you know, these are individuals who have degrees in uh, early childhood education and really working and nurturing children, but maybe forced out of this because uh, just the job market and, uh, you know, just the cost of living as a whole. And so these initiatives that they uh, continue to try to push forward with the legislature to ensure the retention of its current members, but also recruitment of new candidates that can help to fill this gap in a growing industry. And uh, it will only continue to grow, as we say, uh, and we've talked about on this program, this Ready Cakey initiative that, uh, you know, the lieutenant governor is spearheading will only continue to grow each year as they expand in our communities and throughout the state, which will require more workers uh, and so while they are working feverishly to get those 11 classrooms staffed up and ready to go, they're also looking long term into how they can ensure that this is a career path for many people to enter in uh, and have those adequate services once things are completely stood up. Yeah, and the session is over, but the work there for their organization and others in this space is not over. You heard Deborah there talking about uh, advocating for parental leave and perhaps increasing some of the tax credits for people who work in this industry to try to make uh, those jobs more attractive. So we will continue to track this issue. The lieutenant governor is going to be joining us month ne next month. The governor is going to be joining us next week. So we'll ask him about this and a host of other issues. Join us right back here on Friday for another edition of Spotlight Hawaii. Until then, have a great week. Aloha. Take care.